it's not really credible for most people that they could spend the next seven years not leaving their living room. So the question is, okay, well, if that's not quite going to work, then what is going to work? Then what does this new version of things look like? So I think that in thinking about adapting to the pandemic, that recognition that the workplace has to be somewhere that people want to go to, that they enjoy, that they feel engaged at, is number one. You know how when you walk into a certain gym or a certain hotel or fly on a certain airline, there's a kind of feel about the place. You've probably never had that feeling, though, about your office building. But just because that hasn't happened in the past doesn't mean it shouldn't happen in the future, according to Jamie Hodari, who's the CEO of Industrious. Workplaces are at the beginning of their journey on that front. And maybe what I would say is, because it's one of the last big service products to make this transition, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think the fact that historically people have not felt an affiliation or associated anything with a workplace brand does not mean that that can't be true in the future. I'm Miriam Hall, and Jamie Hodari is my guest on this episode of BizNow Reports. This month, Industrious partnered with Nuveen to create a national tenant network, a deal which will have Industrious running the shared spaces like lobbies, conference rooms and event areas in all 64 of Nuveen's office properties in 13 states. The whole idea is for Nuveen to create a singular, identifiable brand across its whole portfolio, something that might be a key part of workplaces of the future now that remote work has reshaped how we think about the office. Industrious, as a business, has grown significantly in the wake of the pandemic. CBRE has invested $330 million since 2021, for example, and its footprint has expanded exponentially in the last year. Jamie says because the company switched to management agreements with landlords well before the pandemic, as opposed to straight leases, the company has been in a much better position to weather these seismic shifts in the office world. So I asked him first about adapting the business model. I was speaking at a conference once, and the moderator was Barry Sternlich, the the, the guy who who runs Starwood, and he's you know he he kind of said, look, the biggest knock on the flex industry is that demand is headed in the right direction, but you have this painful mismatch of duration between your liabilities, your ten year leases with landlords, and your assets or you know your sort of revenue, which are short-term contracts with your occupiers, how do you explain that? And I had a very standard answer that I just started going into. And then I just, my heart wasn't in it. And I had a moment where I was like, why am I trying to explain away the shittiest part of our industry instead of trying to address it and fix it? And so the hotel industry had gone through a very similar transformation maybe 20 or 30 years earlier. And so there was already a path to follow that that if you can move to a more asset light, more liability light version of a business, it's more sustainable, it gives you more options, and the public markets tend to treat them better and give you better multiples if we were to IPO one day, for example. So I don't know if it was so prescient. I think it was maybe it was a little bold because I think people probably, there were people surrounding our industry who said, eventually this industry will move over to being based on partnership agreements. But I think they thought it would take another decade or so. So saying we're going to do it now, that was maybe the thing that was a little odd and 
could have backfired, but ended up working out. So coming out of the pandemic, you had all these management agreements in place. So you were able to pivot the company more to what people need right now, which is to make workplaces somewhere that people actually want to be as opposed to their bedrooms, their living rooms. Yes. I think what I see right now that to run workplaces effectively requires you to do is first, to the point you've made, they have to be workplaces people want to go to. There has to be a reason that they would enjoy spending their Tuesday there, you know, or their Wednesday there versus being at home. And I use the word enjoy not randomly because I think if you remember when the pandemic started, people were like, people are going to like working from home, but they're not going to be productive at home. So if they want to get real work done, they're going to have to go to the office. And that turned out not to be true. People can be quite productive at home. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that for many people, they are perhaps even more productive, at least in a narrow sense, at home. And therefore, the reason to go to the office has more to do with intellectual edification, socializing, warmth, being around other people, and making work something that feels sustainable and and sort of, you know, not emotionally draining more so than because there's some difference in productivity um, from being at the office. Like not like your soul's being destroyed. <laughs> yes, yes, that's fair. Yes, yeah. I, uh, I think it's, it's not really credible for most people that they could spend the next seven years not leaving their living room. So the question is, okay, well, if that's not quite going to work, then what is going to work? Then what does this new version of things look like? So I think that in thinking about adapting to the pandemic, that recognition that the workplace has to be somewhere that people want to go to, that they enjoy, that they feel engaged at is number one. I think the second is recognizing that for most people, they are only going to go periodically, that they're going to go a couple days a week. There are even people who go once every three weeks and what does that, how do you build a workplace that can accommodate that more episodic or periodic rather than daily use of the workplace? Um, and then the last piece is that people really hate commuting. Um, you know, it just feels intuitively and in our data that before the pandemic, a lot of people were willing to commute 35 minutes each way, 40 minutes each way. And now to think about an hour and 20 minutes a day spent commuting it's just not credible for the majority of white collar workers that don't have to do that. And so creating 15 minute or, you know, shorter local no commute offices that you can walk to or you can bike to has been a major part for us of adapting to the moment at hand. Let's look at, for example, your partnership with Nuveen. So you're helping them kind of create a brand. And I was thinking about this. I've never met anyone who's felt brand identity with their office landlord. Their work, yes, but their office landlord. So what's the thesis here? Like, how is that going to help with return to office, help them with leasing? I think the fact that that has not historic, that historically people have not felt an affiliation or associated anything with a workplace brand does not mean that that can't be true in the future. I don't think it can happen overnight. But for me, you know, my mother only flies Delta. And sometimes we fight about it because it'll be $700 to fly. She lives in Detroit. It'll be $700 to fly a round trip to New York on Delta and $250 on American that given week. And she 
it pains her, but she would spend the money. And she can't even really articulate why. It's just, that's my airline. I feel more at home there. I feel taken care of there. I feel like... And, you know, it's an airline. It's not... I don't actually think the distinctions are that big. And, and you see that over and over with hotels and other things. So clearly, those are things that, you know, she might spend six hours a month on a plane. In your workplace, people might spend you know, six hours every other day there. And so there's actually much more opportunity than with an airline or with a hotel or with a particular amusement park to say, this is something that you feel an attachment to and want to to be at. But I think workplaces are at the beginning of their journey on that front. And maybe what I would say is because it's one of the last big service products to make this transition, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to reason from first principles. You don't have to start from scratch. That you can learn from how Union Square Hospitality does it. You can learn from how Disney does it. You can learn from how Delta does it. And like gyms as well. You know, I was thinking about SoulCycle, for example. Like they've all got their kind of their own feel, but it's you kind of know what you're going to get wherever you go into a SoulCycle. It's a kind of a, a certain feel. Totally, yeah. And I think... Um, you know, one of the realities for a lot of these brands is that the physical plant matters, but the way you're treated, the, the sort of, um, predictability and mode of the human interactions are probably are, are, are more deeply associated with what makes a particular brand sing or, or what you, you know, connect to that particular brand. Um, and I think traditionally when people think about office or workplace, they go very quickly to the physical components, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. And I think, I think industriouses are beautiful. So obviously I care about physical design, but I don't think it's as central as people sometimes assume. So it's going to be like at the point where people say, I like to fly Delta. I like to go to Equinox and I like say, a Nuveen building. I like to work at a Nuveen building. I think so. I think so. I think, I think that's right. Or I think, you know, it could, you could get to a place where you say Blackstone buildings are very elegant. They're very corporate. They have a service model that's about impressing clients and guests. Brookfield, this is random, by the way. Brookfield buildings are about scale. They're, a, it's like being at a, um, you know, at a, at a resort where there's 50 different options and it's about almost being blown away by everything that's at your fingertips. And maybe Nuveen buildings are about intimacy and warmth and like being at a nice boutique hotel where you feel seen, you don't feel anonymous, you feel known. And all three of those things might be very real, very appealing service models to some set of customers and they would just have to pick you know, which one speaks to us most or what are, what are we at Spotify or what are we at Twitter trying to deliver to our employees and which service model slash building partner is best suited for us to deliver whatever we're trying to do. I think it could or would feel something like that. You told me recently that there are some landlords that are sitting on their hands um, and kind of hoping things will go back to the way that they were in the good old days, I guess. Are you talking to those landlords and like, how do those conversations go? So Industrious is a partnership driven company. 
And I think we have quite a strong brand. So we get to work with partners who we want to work with and who want to work with us. And we do spend some time with landlords that are very skeptical that buildings or offices are going to move to a higher service model. But I don't think we're the type of company that would beat our head against the wall or, you know, try to explain to them why we think they're wrong, you know, in, in too aggressive of a way. Uh, so we do spend some time with them. I think the landlords that I see who really kind of think we're, we're going to go back to the way things were, there tends to be a financial or, or sort of constraint reason that's forcing them to think that way. So it's a building that's owned by 20 cousins and, you know, they all just want to clip their check and they don't, the idea of having to invest in the future or come up with a reinvented, it's not, you know, it would be something like that. Or, or I think most serious, large professional landlords who every day their full-time job is to build value in workplace assets at this point are actually becoming very progressive and the, the ones that aren't are in the minority. You know, um, I had um, Arpit Gupta on the podcast last year. Uh, he's at NYU and he's a, he's has looked a lot at the building, the impact of work from home and it's uh, the effect on building values. And he said something that really stuck with me, which was that almost every aspect of our life has gone back to the way it was except work. And it's so true because Everything I do, I socialize the same, I shop kind of the same, I, I do everything that travel the same, but work is just, just never went back to the same way. I find when something like that happens, I do think it suggests that the way, the old way wasn't working. Cause I think that, you know, I, I kind of think about like, um, I was dating someone for a long time and then she and I broke up and dating apps had come out in the intervening period. And I was shocked by how everybody, you know, used Hinge or Bumble or whatever. And then it was because, you know, going to a bar and staying till 1 a.m. and just hoping you met someone you're compatible with was there was a lot of friction. Like that it that 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 this kind of new way was just so clearly, in certain ways at least, uh, more intuitive or better. And in this way, I think um, having more autonomy, having more choice getting to determine for yourself where you do your best work instead of being told by your boss's boss's boss where you have to be and when, even if you know that isn't the best for you, it's just, I think it is a better way to work for most people. And that to me is one of the most revealing things about the shift in work during the pandemic is that people had a revealed preference for more autonomy and more choice. It's not, it's like, it's not like this way because it's wrong. It's because it's right. I think so. Yeah. I think not socializing with friends for six months. That was wrong. Not going on vacation. That was wrong. That was like, that, that, that was a true constraint. This was more about revealing um, that existing ways of, of how we worked and how we expected people to work were probably too coercive and too constraining um, given the way technology, what technology now means and, and, and people's overall preference for having a little more determination or control over their own lives. What's the growth strategy now? For example, I'm thinking WeWork has announced it's closing a bunch of locations. Are those the sorts of things that you would want to pick up? Like, is that the sort of the way you're thinking at the moment? 
We have taken over a number of reworks and it's been hit or miss. For some reason, maybe because of the speed that they grew, there are WeWorks where you go and the acoustics are quite good. You can't hear the person in the office next to you. The difference in temperature between the warmest and coldest office might be three degrees. And there are WeWorks where for some reason you can hear every word of the person in the office next to you. And the difference between the warmest and coldest office might be 15 degrees. And in those cases, you can't really take them over because it would cost more to remediate that than to just build a space from scratch. So we're trying to get better at when we step into a competitor's former space, how do we do due diligence and assess the quality in advance so we can figure out which ones would be appropriate for that. Um, the overall growth strategy is twofold. In the US, growing a lot in neighborhoods. So we'll keep adding locations in CBD and you know office towers in Midtown New York or in Miami, but probably slightly less so than in the past. But adding locations in Jersey City in Cobble Hill in New York, in Williamsburg in New York, or, you know, in most American cities, you can picture it. You've got your mostly financial downtown, and then it's surrounded by cute mixed-use neighborhoods with coffee shops and interesting bars, and you go to your trivia night there. We want to be in those neighborhoods where people can walk to work or bike to work, or I just got a scooter, so now I do, like, the little scootering to work, like... Um, that's where we really want to grow in the U.S. And then internationally, we're behind in Berlin and London and Paris and Singapore and Tokyo. And so there, we really are not just trying to fill in networks the way we are in the U.S. We're trying to grow our networks in a meaningful way in those global gateway cities. Are you, um, are you interested in the suburbs? You said cute neighborhoods. Does that extend to places like... Short Hills, New Jersey or... Um, I, I have heard this narrative that, that, that the cities are gutted and suburbs are where the action's at. That has not been true for us. I think walkable mixed-use neighborhoods in cities are the best of the best. And then suburbs, you really have to pick them right. There are suburbs that people want to drive to and then walk around. In particular, kind of, I would say, cute walkable suburbs that mirror the mixed-use neighborhoods and cities that I would talk about. So, for example, I grew up in Michigan in a suburb called Bloomfield Hills where there was no downtown. It's just houses, 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 houses. But there was a there was a city nearby called Birmingham that had a cute little main street and you would park your car and could walk around and stuff like that. And so uh, we are trying to grow in those types of suburbs. But it, it really, the bulk is more about the mixed-use neighborhoods in, in, in large cities. Do you have many um, tech tenants? This is going to be a very boring answer, but after years and years and years of doing this, industrious, for whatever reason, just reflects the economy. So in a city, if it's a city where about half of companies in a city are more than 1,000 people and half are less, about half of our customers will be a thousand and a half or less. So we do have tech tenants, but roughly in the proportion that tech businesses form as part of the you know broader U.S. employment ecosystem. It's not like we have three x the number of tech companies than would otherwise be the case. I ask because you know obviously the layoffs have been very tech heavy. Is it something that is of concern to you? This is one of those businesses where. It, it, everything cuts both ways. You know, you, if companies are very skittish, 
and they just, you know, they're they're not going to have any employees. Or they want, they're just going to say everyone's got to work from home because we can't afford a workplace. That would hurt us. Conversely, a lot of companies have been saying, why do I have this 20,000 square foot workplace that's extremely underutilized and shocks to the system or moments of change make it more likely that they say, screw it. It's time to make a change here. It's time to try something else because the old way is not working for us. And so some of some of that change we see benefit us and some doesn't, but you know, I I prefer to not try to, you know, root for any dislocation or disruption and just say we want to build a great product and we wanna make a strong case for why these are the best workplaces in the world and people should wanna be here. And then companies have to take their own internal journey about, you know, where they're expender, you know, spending resources and what what decisions make that sense for them at, at what time. This is the last question. Are you talking recession internally? Or are you talking downturn? Or are you not talking about it? Or are you I our plans for twenty twenty three assume there will be a mild recession this year. And then as an American and someone who wants everyone to thrive financially and like my, I would love for that not to happen. And we would probably, you know, outperform our numbers for the year if that doesn't happen. But the budget and the plan for the year is built on assumptions that there will be a, a mild recession, but one that is less deep or intense, for example, than 2008. Jamie, thank you so much. Thank you. That's Jamie Hodari. He's the CEO of Industrious. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.